Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Grace Parajani. What? Grace, you're not what? Alyssa. I know. I know. Alyssa's on vacation, but we have Grace here this week. And Grace, I have a very important question for you. Hit me. Let's hear it. If you had a cache of top secret documents, uh-huh. where would you hide them? In my beehole? <laughs> what? Um, I I wouldn't hide them in my expansive mansion in Florida, that's for sure, because they would be discovered and then I would be made to look like even more of a fool than I have the rest of my life. Yeah. Uh, former President Trump's lawyers have some splaining to do. Mm. Can't wait to hear what the splaining entails. <laughs> This week, we are joined by Dr. Aria Halliday, Julissa Arce, and Amanda Nguyen to tackle the following questions. What's the matter with comparing the current moment to The Handmaid's Tale? Why does the Target run carry with it such enduring appeal? And will the UN get it together by Friday? All this and more right now. So as listeners of the show know, we do something called Tour de Fuckery. And Grace is going to uh, help be our tour guide on Tour de Fuckery this week. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we say this all the time. It's important to pay attention to what's happening in your state. State houses may lack the glamour and pancakey makeup and the bright lights of cable news, but it's where a lot of the true fuckery happens. So if something awful but under the national radar is happening in your state, you can let us know by tipping us at hysteria at crooked.com. Just send a news article with some details just so it's not like a letter that's like... <laughs> Sherry from Oklahoma says it's bad. No, just send a news article so we don't have to dig as much because we do get a lot of these nominations. And we got some great ones this week, by the way. I'm real excited for this tour. We got some good ones. Let's start in Missouri, Grace. Mm -hmm. The show me state where the asshole governor is showing his whole ass. (laughs) Governor Mike Parson is a Republican and he is defending himself because he's in a bit of a PR 
bad situation. I think that's the technical word for it. Yeah, PR bad situation. That's right. Mm -hmm. A PR bad situation. Mm -hmm. So it turns out that Missouri is the only state in the entire country that opted out of continuing a federal program that allows people receiving summer school lunches, summer food service, to grab and go their lunches. Now, this program of grabbing and going Mm -hmm. your food service was a pandemic Mm -hmm. invention. It was designed to allow people to, who needed assistance getting fed over the summer. Mm -hmm. It allowed people to collect their school lunch Mm -hmm. and leave and eat it elsewhere. Now, before you had to eat it on site unless you had a specific number of, you know, some extraordinary circumstances that make it so it's not possible. Mm -hmm. But the federal government was like, you know what? That worked really well during pandemic. We fed a lot of kids. Let's, you know, if your state wants to do it, then, you know, just let us know. Mm -hmm. Missouri, the only one that didn't, Grace. The only one. And the reason is what is the kicker for me here, that Kelly Jones, who is the communications director for Governor Mike Parson, said that this was because our state was returning to normal operations, as in COVID just stopped affecting Missouri. COVID just isn't a thing in Missouri. So that's why we moved past it. And the craziest thing to me, statistics-wise, is that this resulted in up to 97% fewer meals distributed compared to other states. That is a huge amount. It's not like, oh, one or 2% of students decided not to show up to get their lunches. This is like the vast majority. A lot. Yes, it's striking to me. It's like, you have to work to be that much of an asshole. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a real kick to underprivileged children to prove a political point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It also doesn't make sense in the first place that people would have to sit there on site and eat their lunch. I know. I hate that. I hate that. Forced friendship is like, don't make this be a bonding thing. We're just trying to get everybody fed. It's also like, this isn't suddenly opening the state up to an Uber, DoorDash, you know, Postmate situation where they have to go deliver the food. The food was gonna, like, it didn't cost them any effort to just have students come pick it up from the location where the food is being provided anyway, you know? So why punish them for having that as an option? Yeah, well, at least Governor Mike Parson really stuck it to those recipients of reduced and free school lunches. Those are the people that really need to be taken down a few notches, especially (laughs) in the state of Missouri. That sucks. I'm really glad that there's a sort of blowback happening. I'm glad that this is not something that is held up as an example of great leadership because it's just, it's a real bitches can't govern situation. Yes, yes. Alyssa and I talk about this a lot where it's like, Governors of of red states who run on the platform that, like, the government sucks, and then they Mm -hmm. get into government and they suck at governing. Um, (laughs) This is another example of just... This bitch cannot govern. This bitch cannot govern. And it is striking to me that Missouri was the only state that upheld this. I mean, there's so many other states that I would have, like, maybe if, if ah, there's so many other red states that could have done this too, if there was a quorum of some variety amongst red states, but just the one. No. He just went it alone. He just went it alone. It's like he didn't call anybody. Nope. He didn't talk to anybody. He's clearly not on any of the red state governor text chains. No. Oh, no. No, no. He's not on any of the WhatsApps. No. He doesn't get invited to the <laughs> to the red state governor girls weekends uh, or, you know, golf weekends or whatever. And yep. Yeah. I mean, way to show that you don't have any friends, Governor Parson. <laughs> Yikes. Okay, let's move to Louisiana. This story is one of those stories that every time I encounter it in the news, Mm -hmm. it is just as effective as the first time I read it. I'm like... Mind blown. Yeah. Mind blowing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so 
something we've talked about on the show before, a lot of these abortion bans were not written with the greatest care or knowledge of (laughs) medical facts or legal dexterity. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of these abortion bans are written in a way that is, to use a legal term, stupid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because of the stupidity of the bans, real people are being hurt. Mm -hmm. So, um, Louisiana lawmakers are now saying that the hospital that denied a woman an abortion when she was carrying a fetus that did not have a skull, Louisiana lawmakers are now saying that the hospital grossly misinterpreted the law that would have allowed her to get an abortion. So this woman, Nancy Davis, was denied an abortion initially after a 10-week ultrasound revealed that her fetus had a crania, which is a lack of a skull. And uh, doctors said that she initially said, well, you can't, we can't give you an abortion because you don't, it doesn't fall under the exception. Mm-hmm. But now lawmakers are saying it actually does. Yeah. Grace, what do you make of that? You know, the way that they justify how a crania uh, works is that uh, the skull would follow in terms of its development. So if- Not true. Not a medical fact. Not true. Not a medical That's fact. That's not how fetal development works. Medicine is not a magical wish list that you nope. can just be like, wouldn't it be cool? No. No, there's no gene like from this season of what we do in the shadows where you can magically wish for a skull to appear after it's been- shown that your fetus does not have a skull. So it is striking to me the lack of medical background, the fact that laws are allowed to be passed with such a lack of medical background. Man, Louisiana, you have really made a case for yourself to be the biggest state of importance on the tour de fuckery this week because this is real. And you know what, Aaron, to your point about how every time I read this story, every time I hear about it, it continues to shock me, to scare me, to terrify me because I do start to realize the futility of, you know, laws that are written by people who don't know what they're talking about medically. And it's it's very scary. There are no fact checkers on the laws. Like they just can be like, yep, implant a nick top. I mean, this didn't happen in Louisiana, but you know, in Ohio and other states, there were attempts to write into the law that ectopic pregnancies must be implanted into the uterus. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. There's just like a lack of even basic knowledge, basic knowledge about how how children develop in the womb, it's very, very scary. It's really, really scary. So, you know, I don't know what happens now. Uh, I did hear, though, that the woman who we're discussing is going to travel to North Carolina for an abortion with financial assistance from donors. And they have given her more than $25,000 on GoFundMe, which, you know, again, how dystopian to have to fund an abortion, an out-of-state abortion on GoFundMe. But I am I'm thrilled that she's going to be able to receive that procedure. It's absolutely great for Ms. Davis Mm -hmm. and her family so that they can start healing from this, which I'm sure was a traumatic event for them. Yeah. But GoFundMe is such a band-aid on a bullet hole when it comes to this. I mean, this woman that we're discussing is far from the only person in Louisiana who has needed abortion care and been denied it. Yeah. I was reading this week that one patient was forced to deliver a non-viable fetus at 16 weeks rather than undergo a surgical procedure that is an abortion that would have saved her from having to undergo that trauma. Mm -hmm. It's just pure cruelty designed by people who have no... Yeah fucking clue what they're talking about. Do you think that that it's, this is so dark, but do you think that the word abortion needs, like, we need a different word for it so that people don't feel like it, you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. it, a procedure like the one that you're talking about should be, you know, a little, uh, I don't know, <laughs> giving, giving it a softer term so that it is something that 
nobody. It's a DNC. It's a DNC. And like, it's a DNC. People get them all the time, though. But like, there's no difference in the procedure Mm -hmm. that you would have. Like, your intent before getting the DNC does not affect what the procedure is. Right. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like if I'm like getting a tooth pulled, for example, and I'm happy while they're doing it, that doesn't change the fact that they're pulling my tooth. It is what it is. It's it's a medical procedure that is the medical procedure. I think maybe just calling it a DNC. Maybe that's the way to go. No matter what the intention of the person going in, just calling it a DNC. I also feel like gynecological vocabulary needs a refresh Mm -hmm. from the top down. Oh my God. I feel as though like pregnancy starting from the first day of your last period, very confusing for people. (laughs) It allows people like Greg Abbott in Texas to write laws saying that a six-week abortion ban and, oh, you have six weeks to figure it out. No, you don't. You don't have six. You don't even, you're you're not even pregnant. (laughs) It has not even implanted into your womb until according to the gynecological calendar, looking backward, you are three Mm -hmm. weeks pregnant. So like Mm -hmm. we need to do something about that. Yeah. Also the term, you know, geriatric mother, geriatric pregnancies, that feels so outdated and so intimidating and so scary. And I just don't think it helps anybody to have that kind of terminology floating around. It really, really, really needs to change. AMA, advanced maternal age, advanced like, (laughs) oh, geez. Okay. That's an entire uh, horse of a different color. So uh, let's- That's an episode right there. Let's make, I know, seriously, let's go to Ohio. I mean- I'd prefer not to, but <laughs> let's go to Ohio, uh, proving once again that it is in the Michigan-Ohio battle, the inferior of the two states. I got to say. Oh, yes. Oh, I, I support that. Never lived in either one. Went to college that was a big rival of the University of Michigan. Uh-huh. Got to say, Michigan really kicks Ohio's ass in <laughs> many, many ways. Yes. Here's the thing. Ohio has potential. Absolutely. It could be okay. Rich history. I mean, I've been to Ohio. I've been to Dayton a few times. I feel like there's potential. There's a spark there because it feels like, you know, there's reminders that this place was one to a real city of industry, a real progressive town a hundred years ago. And now not so much. Yeah. Nope. Now they're having fights with wind and solar projects under a new state law. Oh God. Oh brother. Yeah. Yeah. At least 10 Ohio counties have passed resolutions that would block development of new utility-scale wind and solar projects that are in their jurisdictions. The counties have done this after a 2021 enactment of a state law that gave locals veto power over renewable energy generation sites. A veto power that doesn't exist for fossil fuel developments. So the state law enables counties to locally reject green energy, but not the kind of energy that is... Draining the blood from the planet and then drowning us in it. That seems fair. Totally fair. Yeah. So as I was reading about this, I was like, this sounds like a bunch of like, you know, Facebook mom nonsense. Yeah. Then I got to this one part, Grace. I think that you probably know where I'm going. Uh Can we talk a little bit about what some of the anti-wind and solar literature that was being distributed in some of these counties said? A vote out big wind. Big wind. It's so great. It's literally old man yells at cloud (laughs) as a system of government. Like, get out of here, wind. We don't want you. 
you can come through, but we're not going to derive any electric power from you, so help me God. (laughs) I was just going to say the quote from the GOP Senate President, Matt Huffman, too, really stood out to me, where he says, listen, economic development, innovative energy technology, these things are always welcome in the state of Ohio, but not at the expense of rural communities who do not want them. As though every person who lives in a rural community is against wind and solar technology, because I, I just, I don't feel like that's right. I feel like it's really unfair to place that on rural communities. And I also think that, you know, teaching people how innovative these technologies can be and also how accessible they can be is super important. And it just seems like Ohio's not doing that. Yeah, not doing great. There was also some disinfo out there about solar panels leaching poison into the ground, which is right. rich considering like, oh, really? Hmm, what do fossil fuels do? What do fossil fuels do in that case, right? You know, going to take a nice little bath with sure. your b- baby in a fossil fuel pool? Sure, sure, sure. No problem. Love that. Love that for us. I don't know. It really, you know, something about this story makes me believe that if water were something that were privatized and sold to us, And Democrats were like, you know what? Why don't you collect rainwater? Collect some rainwater and use that to water your lawns instead of like buying water and dumping it on the lawn. These people would cover their lawns up and be like, do not fall on me, water. (laughs) I insist on the stupidest possible way of doing things. Ugh. Anyway, I love the anti anti the elements, anti mother nature stance. That anti we're wind, towards. yeah, anti wind. Big wind is the funniest. Big wind also sounds like a fart, by the way, and that <laughs> makes me laugh a lot. So good going. Got to keep out big wind. You know, there's something that also says to me that maybe they're just kind of echoing uh, former President Trump's mm. like animosity toward windmills. He hates windmills. He hates them. Why does he hate them so much? Because of his hair? No, that's a great guess. Um, Actually, he has a golf course and resort in Scotland. And um, the government put windmills offshore. And he got mad because he said- They ruined the view. Of course. Of course. Yeah. He's hated windmills ever. He's holding a grudge against- like windmills as a technology. Um, very funny. I want to have a grudge that petty, by the way. I, I really need a grudge that petty at some point in my life. Oh, you'll figure it out. <laughs> I have faith in you. You know what? I, I was saying nice things about Michigan, but there are some kind of not so great things about Michigan. Yeah. Among them, Tudor Dixon, uh, Republican nominee for governor. I just want to flag something that she said. Mm-hmm. By the way, Tudor Dixon, does that sound like the name of a girlfriend of an Alabama quarterback or what? <laughs> Homecoming queen, Tudor Dixon. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I just want to get this quote exactly correct. Mm -hmm. Tudor Dixon said that forcing a teenage girl who had been raped to give birth could be, quote, healing. Ooh, could be that giving, being forced to give birth to your rapist baby could be healing. We don't want to spend too much time on Tudor Dixon on this episode just because some new polling has come out and Big Gretch, Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Big Gretch, Big Gretch, baby. Up double digits in in some recent polling. So love that. You know, I I feel like Tudor Dixon is is deep in find out season. Yeah. (laughs) First half of the year, fuck around season. Now we're like in find out season. And yes, yeah. Find out season. I love that. We are we have found out about Tudor Dixon. Yeah. And uh, I'm so glad that the state of Michigan understands that. That's great. Yeah. Well, they still got to show up and vote on election day, but that's true. Then it'll really be find out season. Um, okay, Grace, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I have an interview that I don't want you to miss. We'll be right back. 
and welcome back. Super excited for today's interview. Today's guest is a scholar, teacher, and cultural theorist who specializes in the cultural constructions of Black girlhood and womanhood in material, visual, and digital culture. She's assistant professor in the Department of Gender and Women's Studies and program in African-American and Africana Studies at the University of Kentucky. And she's the author of By Black, How Black Women Transformed U.S. Pop Culture. Dr. Aria Halliday, welcome to Hysteria. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So before we drill down on the specific topic that I think you're the perfect person to address, I would love for listeners to hear more about your scholarship and what cultural figures or media are currently holding your interest as a layperson and as an academic. Oh, that's a heavy question. That second part. I can talk about my scholarship all day. But. Okay, cool. So I, I really think about the ways that U.S. popular culture has you know, really been influenced by Black women in various aspects. So the dolls that we play with, the if you think about makeup that we're wearing, the clothes that we're wearing, right? There are Black women who are in these designer seats who are really making choices about the ways that we experience everything. And in a lot of ways, you know, pop culture is this unifying experience, so we don't actually realize who is behind the creation of these objects. So my book by Black is really thinking about how Black women have been influential and the way that we think about Cinderella, the way that we think about Barbies, the way that we think about even hip hop contemporarily. And I really hope that people experience, you know, the excitement that I have around what is happening in our culture and how Black women are really, you know, at the forefront of changing those things. Which brings me to the second part of your question, which is about what's holding my attention right now. And um, I'm really obsessed with this upcoming rapper. Her name is Dochi. And she's just strange (laughs) (laughs) in all the best ways. Um, I think she's doing some things that, you know, maybe 15 years ago, you might consider something like Nicki Minaj. She was kind of the only person out there doing it. The field is kind of packed right now. There are a lot of people who you might consider really important and contemporary um, Black female artists. But Dochi is doing something I think that's a little interesting, a little more compelling in the same way that we might think of like Lil Nas X is like asking us to to think about some different things. I think Dochi is in a similar conversation. Oh, cool. I will have to check out Dochi after we get done recording this podcast. (laughs) So this is what I wanted to talk to you about today because I was like, we need to kind of unpack this. So something we've been seeing since the election of Donald Trump and, you know, a little bit before, but mostly since um, women dressed as handmaids showing up to protests. So like the mm-hmm. handmaid, of course, from Atwood's Handmaid's Tale. There's all these warnings kind of being bandied about that we are going to turn into the Handmaid's Tale if things keep going the way they're going. But like Atwood herself has said that the Handmaid's Tale was based on things that already happened. So what do you make of the ubiquity of the Handmaid's Tale and discussions of abortion rights in the U.S.? And are the constant Handmaid's Tale references getting a little annoying? (laughs) Well, I I think, you know, Atwood, as you said, is like really thinking about things that happened from the early 20th century. So 1905 to like 1950 is really when she's like conceptualizing her book and thinking about things like the Soviet Union and Romania and other things that are happening that aren't necessarily contemporary to this moment. But I think it's really interesting that people use Handmaid's Tale, particularly the show, and, and I think it's really important to make that distinction that, like, I don't even know that people are really reading Atwood's book, to be honest with you. But yeah. they're using the show as this really, like, visual marker of the ways that white women in particular are being treated in U.S. society. And I think 
one, it's a little annoying because it's ahistorical, right? It's fiction. Um, but also, two, I think that it dismisses a kind of a larger conversation that's happening within Atwood's book, Him Hates Tale, but also like reproductive justice kind of writ large in the United States. And so like in Atwood's book, for example, like she kind of writes off the fact that there aren't any Black people in the book. is like, you know, they're they're being pushed off to this, you know, area in the Midwest and as the children of Ham, they're just over there, right? So there's no real, you know, people of color in the book at all, right? And so the people that of color that we're seeing are directorial decisions, right, for the show. And so this, like, adaptation to think that, like, oh, like, the reproductive rights of really white women are under threat based on what's happening in our culture right now, you know, honestly, it's directly linked to decisions that white women have made as voters, Right. Decisions as white women have made politically over the course of, you know, the 1950s to the present since Atwood's, you know, inspiration for the book. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a little annoying in the fact that it's ahistorical. Right. So we want to use Handmaid's Tale as this visual marker that's really important and interesting because, you know, it forces us to consider, you know, this fictitious thing happening in our everyday lives. Sure. But to say that, like, Handmaid's Tale is happening, right, it's a direct correlation to what's happening today, doesn't actually relate to the way that most women, I would say, most women, most trans people, most people of color are experiencing society and have been for 200 plus years. Mm -hmm. So let's get into that a little bit. Like, how has the historical treatment of Black women and girls been erased in our current discussion of reproductive autonomy? So, I mean, we know from the history of slavery that most of the ways that we experience gynecological exams even, right? So like you literally go to a gynecologist, they tell you to breathe deeply so they can insert these forceps. It's really painful. That whole experience comes from, you know, Black women being tested on without anesthetics, without um, even consent really by, you know, what they call the father of gynecology, which is J. Marion Sims. And I mean... So even in our contemporary experience, right, we have a thing that's kind of not thought about or understood, even like contemporary conversations about how IUDs are inserted and they're super painful, but we don't get anesthesia for them. All of that comes from, you know, testing that happened on Black women and girls, right, without their consent, you know, not too long ago, right? I mean, even like the forced sterilization and conversations about who is worthy to bear children is a contemporary one. I mean, they were sterilizing women in Puerto Rico and South America. They were sterilizing Black women here and some white women who are considered to be unfit, you know, up until the 1980s, even when you're considering like mental health and disability. Um, and so, I mean, it, it's it's a long conversation, but I will say that, like, the way that we think about reproductive justice is not just about, like, what ways that we can give birth if we decide to or not, but even the mechanisms that we use, like, how birth control, for example, has been tested on communities of color for a long time without consent and without knowledge of all the dangerous things that could happen, which is how, you know, they get pulled off the market and then they get tested in various other places and they happen. But like, you know, that can completely change a person's ability to give birth at any given time. And there isn't really documentation of those things when we pull up Handmaid's Tale as the example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are some, I guess, cultural artifacts? Like what are some pieces of cultural production that address reproductive coercion or reproductive justice as it impacts people of color? Like what's out there that gets it right? 
Yeah. I would say, so there's a book that continues to be a touchstone for me. It's even kind of an old book right now, but it's by a scholar. Her name is Dorothy Roberts and it's called Killing the Black Body. And it's a conversation about like everything that I've just said, but also about even the things about like adoption and forced adoption that we have from various places, right? Which is also a part of the reproductive conversation. And so Dorothy Roberts is really great about considering not only what happens to Black women and Black girls, you know, historically, but also, you know, contextualizes for all of us, not just about what happens to our individual bodies, but what the systems at large are doing to control our decisions, you know, over the course of our lifetime. Um, and that's one book that I'm like, it continues to be, I think it came out in 1995 or something. And it continues to be a genius about all of the contemporary conversations and questions that we're having, especially politically right now. I'm thinking about your question, cultural artifacts that get it right. I have to say that it's rare that they get it right. I think, you know, even I'm thinking about shows like Shrill, for example, or Fleabag, or the other one is not going to come to me right now, but thinking about like more contemporary examples that show like how women of size have experiences around sex and sexuality and rape. And I mean, even those have Black women and women of color and gay people as kind of like sidekicks to this prominent narrative of fat white woman as a protagonist. And so I, I can't think of examples that get it right, honestly, but that, I think that just means that there's space for, you know, cultural creators to do more around reproductive justice and those conversations in the contemporary moment. Mm -hmm. Did you watch I May Destroy You? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> what did you think of it? I mean, it's it's in the UK, so it's like a different right. and it's dealing with African diaspora, but it's yeah. so it's a different situation. But what did you think of that show? Yeah, I mean, Michaela Cole, I think, gets right the ways that women of color, especially in Europe, Black women in Europe experience uh, sex and sexuality. But it's hard. It's a really hard show to process in various ways. And I think that like one storyline that I think is really interesting is her friend, you know, goes and is like, you know, I'm going to live, you know, hot girl summer. You know, I think she's in Italy. And these guys have basically like plotted on her. But she doesn't know it. Right. She thinks I'm experiencing this thing as individual choice. And it's actually like in this system of coercion that's happening around these other guys who have been planning to have sex with her. And it's really interesting because ultimately, you know, I think it says a lot about the system that we live in, that we think we have this individual choice and, you know, I'm doing the best thing for me and this makes sense. But also how it's couched in the system that, you know, actually controls our choices for us. And so that, yeah, that show is just brilliant. Um, but yeah. for a, a number of other reasons. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. It's brutal, but it's a great show. So I feel as though when we see these people showing up to protest wearing Handmaid's outfits or, you know, saying, oh my goodness, it's turning into the Handmaid's Tale on their text chain. I feel like there's there's good intentions there, but how do we bridge the gap between good intentions and historical accuracy. Yeah. One, that's really hard. And two, I think, you know, just like asking a question, like I think I do this in my classes all the time and students come with, you know, particular ideas about how, how the world works or, you know, whatever it is that they want to talk about from their own perspective. I say, okay, like, where does that come from? Mm -hmm. Like, so like what is dressing up as a handmaid do for the conversation? Like, why is that your particular touch point? And then you kind of work through like, 
oh, yeah, I mean, it makes me think about the ways that, like, you know, Serena is being forced to have sex with this guy and, you know, her baby is taken from her. She's being moved around, all these other things from the show. And we're like, okay, you know, what about your experience relates to that one? Because if you're not Serena, then you're actually appropriating someone else's narrative and saying that it's yours, right? And so in what ways can we think about your own reproductive experience, your experience with, you know, gynecologists, your experience with IUDs or birth control pills, your experience with, you know, having sex or being raped. Like, how do we think about those things, right, in conversation of your own experience and extrapolate them to the system rather than saying, let's take this fictional thing and apply it to everything else that might happen? Because fiction is indeed fiction. And there are actually really terrifying things that are happening that we don't need fiction to help us figure out. We need to think about it in a contemporary moment. And then, you know, also like vote. The way that you decide to vote, especially on the local level, you know, impacts how we see things happening, you know, on the federal level as well. And I think, you know, we're coming up on primaries. We're coming up on really large scale um, decision making in, in local places. And that will impact the stuff that we see that happens on this federal level, like Dobbs being... And anything else that happens, you know, there are a lot of conversations that are happening on on the federal scale that are, you know, could force us to have, you know, local conversations differently. And so I think having that relationship with your local government has the ability to change what we're seeing happening on the federal level, too. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to take too much more of your time, although I I could probably sit here and talk to you all day because you are so smart. Just to kind of end on a lighter note. So you're teaching at the University of Kentucky. I am. That is a red state. We have a lot of listeners who are teachers or who work in academia in red Mm -hmm. states. Do you have any words of encouragement or uplift as we go into another school year to people who are teaching, especially teachers in red states? Yeah, I think that students are so brilliant. They are committed to having conversations that challenge them, that challenge the way that they grew up, that challenge the communities that they live in. I teach so many students that are like, you know, I don't know anybody who would be in this class, but I'm here because I want to learn. And I think that means that in red states or even in blue states, purple states, you know, we live in an environment where young people are really excited about and passionate about learning what things like Dobbs being overturned mean. Like they want to know what it means, but they also want to know how they can change it too. And I think our job as educators is not to create an environment where they can't ask those questions, but is to, you know, say like, let's lay out everything that's possible and what can you do on your individual level and your individual life to make things happen. And I think that is the way that we approach education. That's the way that we approach change. And ultimately, I think it's possible that, you know, we'll see other things happen in a positive light that our students, you know, will take on and change, but we have to teach them how to do that. Dr. Aria Holiday, thank you so much much. This was a great conversation. Please come back again sometime. I will. Thanks for having me. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. 
Yeah. I have to. I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. I refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on oh. a, it's like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. It's yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch okay. napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put yeah, a, a totally. blazer and like— Denim shirt. Denim, denim shirt, oh, blazer, yeah. leggings. So easy. 100%. And, of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee, while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. That's perfect. He is, like, I think my my dad is one of those people that just, like, beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're— they look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad, your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in, like you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Welcome back to Hysteria, where I am here with Grace and the rest Hello. of our panel, which I'm going to introduce shortly. But first, Grace, I have a very important question for you. This, <gasps> Tell me. What is the least amount of money you've ever spent at Target? 
easily $200. Really? Least, it's gotta be. I've never gone into Target for just one thing. I know that I am not alone in this, but I am just enchanted by the magical wizarding world of Target and I can't not spend at least $200. What about you? Oh my gosh. Um, I went in there once and I spent fifteen dollars. I was <gasps> like, I'm a magician. What? I'm a magician. This this episode, by the way, not sponsored by Target. Not sponsored. But every single time I bring up the topic of Target with, with friends, you know, with people from my hometown, with people mm-hmm. that I know now, and you know, it's something that seems to like transcend like social class. Uh, It transcends geography. If you are an American and you live within half an hour of Target and you are a a woman, um, Mm -hmm. you probably have like some sort of weird relationship with it. Uh, Positive, negative. Sexual. Sexual. $200 a pop relationship. Um, And and I, I think that there is a lot going on there that I thought would be a fun thing to talk about. So bringing in the rest of our panel... Our next panelist, fan favorite. You may know her from the MSNBC special, The Culture is Latina, now streaming on Peacock. Or you might know her from her latest book, You Sound Like a White Girl. It's Julissa Arce. Julissa, welcome to Hysteria. Hello. I'm so excited to be back. And I have to say that when I found out we were talking about Target Run, I had no idea what we were talking about. I thought it was like some sort of like primary political thing because in my mind, <laughs> in my mind, it's just like Target. <laughs> and, so like, yeah. and so to see it written down Target, I, it like it did not register. <laughs> so, but I was like, this is so much more fun. I'm so much more excited to talk about this. Oh my God. That store could literally put up an E. This, uh, not sponsored by Target, again, um, could make their signage just like an E with a accent on it. Because we know Target Yeah, we all get it. They should. Yes. Uh, Rounding out the panel today, she's returning to the pod. She is the founder and CEO of RISE, a civil rights accelerator that empowers everyday citizens to write laws. She's gathered public attention as a sexual assault survivor and uh, Asian-American Pacific Islander activist. She's also a 2019 Nobel Peace Prize nominee and a Forbes 30 Under 30 nominee. So, of course, we want her to talk about Target. Amanda Nguyen... (laughs) Very appropriate. <laughs> Amanda Nguyen, welcome to Hysteria. Woo. Hello. Hello. Wait, I have a question for everyone, which is, since you opened up saying that Target is like the wizarding world, mm-hmm. which sections of Target would correspond to the Harry Potter houses? Oh, that's great. I, I mean, home decor has to be Gryffindor. Yeah? Okay. Okay. I think so. I would I would say, I think electronics are Slytherin. Yeah. Okay. I can definitely see that. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see that. You know, I was there just yesterday doing research. <laughs> uh-huh. How much did you spend? <laughs> uh, and uh, I was looking at at some of the baby clothes, and I I just noticed that there's a real disparity in the quality between baby clothes for girls and baby clothes for boys. And I was like, mm, this is the J.K. Rowling of the store. It's like a weird <laughs> gender essentialist. Uh, but I kind of wanted to forget I even saw it to, to, to retain my positive feeling about Target as a whole. Um, I'm trying to think. Maybe sp- maybe like the pool, the, the like seasonal recreation section would be like Hufflepuff. That's cute. What about That's the cute. greeting card section, which Caroline, our producer, I, I pitched this, which I like that the greeting card I section love it. is Hufflepuff. I think the pets yeah. section is Hufflepuff. I don't know. It just gives Hufflepuff energy. Oh. Yeah. All right. What's mm-hmm. Ravenclaw? Do they sell books there? 
Yes, they do. They do. It's be. a very small. It's t- it tends to be small, but I think yeah, it would have to be. I think it's the laundry section. What's Starbucks. <laughs> I have nothing to add. I don't know that I've. I don't know that I've ever even seen all of the Harry Potter movies. So. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, sorry. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's they're fine. They're fine. Uh, J.K. Rowling is a complicated figure now, but yes, absolutely. Julissa, I want to get you to talk more about why you call it Target. How long have you called it Target? Why do you think that that is such a nickname that is so like, I've called it Target too, since I was like a teenager. We grew up in vastly different parts of the country. Why do you think that's like the way that people refer to it? Yeah. So, okay. So I have like, I have an interesting um, journey with Target. Right? Because there was definitely a time when buying clothes at Target made me feel embarrassed. Like, oh, I can only afford to buy my clothes at Target. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I think a lot of that came from like when I worked on Wall Street and like I didn't think that people who were working at Goldman were like buying their shirts and their suits at Target. And like, when I first started off, that's where I was buying some of my stuff, you know, some of my collared shirts, some of the skirts I wore, some of the shoes that I wore. And so I, and so like, to me, it was not like, it, it was not what it is now, where I think that Target makes it sound like fancy and like mm-hmm. this like trendy thing. And I think Target has done a really good job of sort of evolving. And, you know, now it's like, super fun to go to Target. Every time I walk into a Target, I immediately go for the clothes section because they always have really cute stuff. And the other day for this like book signing in Aspen, I wore the shoes that I bought at Target. And everybody's like, oh my God, we I love those shoes. Where's your shoes from? And I'm like, I bought them at Target. And I'm so proud that like I bought these hot pink shoes at Target. And so I think the name definitely has made me feel more proud of being like a Target fashion shopper. Um, and you know, it, it doesn't hurt that there's sort of like all these brands that now also have like Target lines, you know, or Target mm-hmm. lines. Um, so I think the name just makes it feel fancier mm-hmm. and I like it. <laughs> um, Amanda, do you have a similar relationship with Target? Yeah, absolutely. Also, I might add, um, Target is an addition to my therapy. I use it for like mental health blocks, getting my steps, you know, even just like browsing the home decor section, which yes. is where I spend most of my time there. I always mm-hmm. look at these cute, you know, fake plants or these cute, you know, dishware and imagine what my, you know, mansion, if I had one, would be furnished with. I know that those are like very two different concepts, right? Target and a mansion. But you know, I can dream. Yeah. I think that's like <laughs> the world of dreams. You know, you go to Target and you're like, I'm ready to have an imagination. I'm ready to <laughs> just be fulfilled. Um, yeah, that's my relationship with Target. It's, I think that's such an interesting thing you're bringing up because I was like wandering around Target like a creep and I realized kind of looking up that there were other women also wandering around. Yeah, totally. Not like a creep, but it was almost yeah. like, you know, I saw a couple women who were like pushing a cart uh, that had like a toddler in it. And it's like they had come to Target because it gave them a place to walk around with their kid that was like visually stimulating, but also like not their house. Um, but I also wanted to talk about what you were saying, Amanda, about being in um, the home goods section and looking at it and imagining that it was in your house. 
I feel as though it sort of presents this idealized life that is also accessible to totally. you. Like if you're at, at Target, it's like you could have a house that looks like this. You actually could have a house like this, you know? And it's like, it's within reach, even if you choose not to, you know, you don't buy any of the fake plants or the, you know, giant wooden candle stands or whatever it is they're selling. It's like, if you wanted to to redo your room and you wanted to make it look nice, like you could. It's accessible. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, okay, I'm going to say something. I don't know how it's going to come out, but it's a little bit vulnerable, which is that I feel safe when I'm at Target, right? Like I yeah, wouldn't be able, yes. I, first of all, I think that it is accessible and that there are a lot of people who look like me that are there. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to have that level of comfort if I was browsing in, let's say, like a really high and expensive custom furniture store, right? I wouldn't be able to like walk around because, you know, people are like, hey, can I help you? Can I help you? And you're like, oh, oh my God. You know, like mm-hmm. it's the like. I was just going to say that that's the unaccessible part. Yes. Like we, the more high end you go, the more highbrow you go, there's people in your face asking what yeah. you want. And, and Aaron, to your point about people walking around Target and taking a breath, you never get to do that at stores. But at Target, you do. And yeah. it's really rare. That's why it feels so zen almost you know I also think there's something about the lighting not being overwhelming the music if there is music is always very low and there is order to the chaos of a layout in in Target you know you you don't necessarily know where the home decor section is going to be in every Target but you know there is going to be one and there's there's a simplicity in that that I I really appreciate too Mm -hmm. there was something else that Amanda you said that um just reminded me or I'm like oh maybe that's why I love Target so much because nobody at Target has ever asked me if I work yeah nobody has ever come up to me and be like where are the bathrooms where can you help me we're like at Nordstrom literally every time I go there somebody will ask me if I work there if I can help them where is the bathroom and when I say like I don't know where the bathroom is they give me like an attitude because I don't know I don't fucking (laughs) work here do you know where the bathroom is never yeah exactly never like not once not once has anybody ever not even when I've worn like a red shirt Nobody has ever asked me if I work there. <laughs> and maybe that's why I love it. Have you ever thought about, no, this is a chaotic recommendation, so take it or leave it. Um, have you ever thought about giving people at Nordstrom directions to the totally opposite <laughs> corner of the store? I love that. I've never thought that's that. That's great. Yes. Thank you. I will do, have, do people that. Have, people no. have to learn. People have to learn not to just randomly ask people if they were No, but I have, I have, I have definitely... Um, before I used to say nothing and now I definitely sort of like ask them like why do you think I work here and then they just walk away really embarrassed so that's my (laughs) response now oh that's good I think that's a little bit less chaotic and a little bit more directly addressing the issue which is that people shouldn't just go up to people who clearly don't work somewhere and ask them if they work there and where the bathroom (laughs) is um does the target run cut through social class yeah do you think I think so like I mean so Amanda, not not to not to brag on your behalf, but you went to Harvard. So you were with, you know, you were around people that were ostensibly in, you know, all different social classes. Are friends of yours like from undergrad like target goers? Yeah. Like is is that for sure. I don't know that anyone would say, no, I don't want to go to Target. Um <laughs> because there's something for everyone. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I've been trying to, you know, I don't want to just do a whole show where it's like, we love Target. Because, I mean, it is true we love Target, but I also kind of want to get into the why in addition to the the cleanliness of it and everything. And, you know, I was thinking today or yesterday as I was walking around a, a giant Target in Burbank, California, um, you know, there aren't very many public spaces where you can just kind of go and walk around and not be bothered, especially, yeah. especially as a woman, like there's yep. no, there's no street harassment in target. Like I've never, nobody even looks at me in target. Like it's, it's wonderful. You just get left alone. Um, but it also seems like, you know, in an era of climate change, it's like a climate controlled place that like mm-hmm. the air conditioning is on. It's not a hundred degrees. It's like, a comfortable temperature. You don't have to just sit at home, like sweating your face off. Um, Julissa, you're nodding. I, I wonder if you have anything to add. Well, only because you were talking about how we don't want to just spend the whole episode being like, we love Target. Because I think at the end of the day, it's a good reminder that like Target is still a corporation, right? Mm-hmm. And like, as much as I love the cute clothes there, like it is fast fashion type of, of clothing, right? And so there is sort of that element of, remembering that like it is there to make money for investors um and and i will say that even though it's less so you know like stores in different neighborhoods look different right and they carry different things and different things are at the top of the shelf or the bottom of the shelf and while i notice it less with target like if i go to a target um and you know target is still in still not in some places like if mm-hmm. I, I live i live in a neighborhood where i have to i have to go 20 30 minutes to get to a target and i live in los angeles it's just the neighborhood i live in los angeles that mm-hmm. it's still not you know target still is not there um and so but i mean i hate it because i'm like man i want to find some some things to criticize target about but then i'm also like but they were also like the first store to carry Risos Curls, which is like a Latina-owned brand for mm-hmm. curly hair. They were also the first store to carry Bevel, which is a Black-owned um, beauty uh, beauty company. Now they're owned by Procter & Gamble, but they carried them even before they were bought out by Procter & Gamble. Um, so, yeah, maybe I did not make a good point about it being a corporation <laughs> because I'm back to like, I love it. <laughs> this is how they fool you. I, that's exactly it. I was also trying to find some complaints, some issue to take with Target because it is so accessible. And it's also aspirational at the same time, too, because you really do feel like no matter which socioeconomic background you come from, like you can go into Target and find something that will beautify some element of your life, whether it is a beauty product, whether it is a, a candle. I, I, I don't know. There's some sort of like a, a time warp that you jump into when you're there that I think is also dictated by the fact that it's hyper seasonal. And, you know, I, I love that feeling. Like I don't, I'm not in school anymore. I don't have kids who are in school, but like, man, back to school season at a Target. Ooh, that's my happy place. Fall? fall season at a Target. I mean, hold me back. Like I am so pumped about it. I went in to buy one candle and went through it so quickly that I had to turn around a week later and I bought seven of them. I don't need seven (laughs) candles. I don't need seven candles, but I felt so compelled because I was like, if I don't get these now, then somebody else is going to get them. And what if they like turn things around so quickly? Cause it's seasonal here. Okay. I totally understand why you spent 200. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love it. Yep. Target is always there for you. Okay. So 
a Target has this Biggie shirt. It's like um like it has like four pictures of Biggie on the mm. shirt, and they're like different like neon colors. It's really cool. And um and Fernando, uh, my husband, uh, had one of those shirts, and he said to me, you know, uh, sometimes he does laundry, sometimes I do laundry, and he said to me, when you do laundry. I don't um, dry this shirt because it shrinks. So don't dry it. I'm like, okay. So the other day, like a couple of days ago, I did laundry and I forgot to wow. not dry it. And I was really, I was like, fuck. Like, he's going to be so upset. They better, I was like, I really hope Target still has his shirt in stock. So I went on Target, like the app, and I bought two shirts just in case I ever shrink one again. <laughs> and and like and they're getting there this week. And so I, I was able to just tell Fernando like, hey, I shrank your shirt, but price diverted. You're getting two more on yeah. Thursday. And I really appreciate it. <laughs> that Target was there for me. Now that's called yes. a that's called a bad news sandwich. <laughs> that's the miracle of Target. So I do have a critique and it's actually not of Target, but it's of the people during the holiday season. It becomes like a war zone. So I remember <laughs> last Christmas, I moved into a new place um, and, you know, I had my Christmas tree and I was like, oh, I'm going to decorate it different this time. So I went and got new, you know, ornaments. And um, as I was perusing, I mean, everything was gone at this point, but there were these like very beautiful, um, golden, you know, painted uh, ornaments. And they were the last ones. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm so lucky. I got it. I put it into my cart. And then I um, turned around to look at like the wreaths. And when I turned around, there was this lady who went into my cart and took <gasps> the baubles no yes. violation still, I know violation we're, like, doing another petty section but that one I was like why would you do that they're in my car <laughs> oh my god a bobble thief I know but a, a violation yes I still think about wow. that wow it's a car wow wow yeah people get people get fair yes. at Target I mean <laughs> I mean but here's the thing like you know Target is a store Target is a giant corporation Target is able to sell us like $1 wooden houses that are supposed to be like knickknacks or whatever, you know, in that little display at the front of the store, probably because of very questionable circumstances and origins from the items that are on sale there. But just because a place has like a complicated presence and a complicated impact doesn't mean that we don't have like meaningful experiences there. And that's like sort of weird for me to wrestle with every time I drive by a Target and I'm like, is there any possible reason I could stop? I really want to just go in, but I can't just go in for no reason. I have a story about that, actually, about going in. Part of why I was so excited to talk about this this week is because my husband and I just moved into a new place. We got a, a new bed. We had some sheets from a fancy company that I won't name because we'd heard like, this is the place you got to get these sheets from. They're amazing. They're amazing. We stopped into a Target thinking we should get a backup pair of sheets just in case. Get the backup pair of sheets. Let me tell you, when I say that the Target sheets, which were a tenth of the price of the fancy sheets, are so much better, so much better in every way that my husband came up with this phrase that I want to share with you guys because it really resonates with me and my life in general, and that is, nothing matters, shop Target. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just, it resonates. Why not shop at Target? Why not pop in, Aaron, to your point, when you think you don't need anything, get that backup thing because it might actually end up being better than the thing that everybody tells you. It's so much more expensive and it's going to be better when it's not. Just go to Target. Yeah. Nothing matters. Shop Target. Yeah. Although I did end up yesterday, I just went in being like, I'm going to let the wind take me where I'm going to be taken. And big I wind. ended up, yeah, big wind. <laughs> Call back. Um, <laughs> Where I ended up, I ended up leaving with vinyl bat wings that can be Velcroed <laughs> onto my cat. Oh, okay. All right. Um, sure. I was like, my, she needs a Halloween costume oh. now. <laughs> <laughs> and she doesn't. She doesn't. She hates it. Uh, she doesn't need any Halloween costume ever, but I emerged with the Halloween costume for the cat. Um, Amanda, like, what's your most memorable experience at Target besides the bobble robbery? Okay, well... Um, it actually is the ball wrapper because the second half of that story is that I I waited <laughs> until that lady turned around and then I took the balls out of her cart. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was like, "That's good. You did this to me. These are mine. So that's <laughs> karma, and I'm delivering my own." So that was that oh, was nice. my <laughs> nice <laughs> moment <laughs> for Target <laughs> justice. Julissa, how about you? What's your what's your most did you ever have like an acting justice at a target or do you have an, any memorable moments from going on a target run? Hmm. I just feel like every time I go to Target, it's a memorable experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I would say uh, so um, uh, Fernando and I bought a house last year and we had our first Halloween in this house in like a real, you know, like a real neighborhood. And so Target. I feel like really provided us all of the things that we needed to have the most amazing Halloween, like including all of like the big decorations to put in our front lawn, like our Halloween costumes, all the candy, like everything was just right there. And as I said, Target's always there for you because if like the the costume that I wanted, they didn't have it in my size at that particular Target. But the people there were so helpful and they were like, oh, there is one at this other Target. And they called the other Target and they were like, do you have it? Can you hold it? We have a customer. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So I think that's a recent one that I really appreciated because we were so excited to have Halloween and to pass out candy and Target provided everything we needed. Oh, that's honestly, I would, a commercial that featured exactly that storyline would be very effective for me. I'd be like, I do need to buy a lot of decorations. Target, Target. call me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Grace, do you think that America can be divided, not into red states and blue states, but Target neighborhoods and Walmart neighborhoods? Do you think it's a a political division? Yeah, this is so this is tricky because I do not have the same feelings about Walmart as I do about Target by any means, by any stretch of the imaginations. I don't like a Walmart. I don't like to go in there. Haven't been there in a long time. I don't have a good story about Walmart like I do with Target. Um, But Walmart functions in many ways in the same manner that Target does. And the reality is that they also share a lot of the same merchandise. So there's something about the promotion of Target, the um, advertising and the sentiment that we have about Target that is so significantly more appealing than Walmart. And and I'm not sure exactly why. I, I actually have a very personal reason why I think that's the case. That is also one of my favorite stories of Target. Um, 
for those people who live in Los Angeles near the kind of east side, there was uh, on on uh, Western and, uh, God, what is it, Sunset. For like six years, there was a Target that was always coming soon, coming soon, coming soon. And it was really frustrating to live in that neighborhood because you saw Target every day for so long, and yet it wouldn't open. For some reason, there were zoning laws. I don't know what the deal was. Aaron, I think you know, you know the, yeah, the I know Target exactly. I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly the Target. <laughs> but it, it, it honestly, and I've, I've since moved away and live like six minutes away from another Target, so whatever. But And I've actually still never been into the Target, which did ultimately open. But to me, that served as like a weird billboard for Target. Like the aspiration of a potential, the potentiality of a Target existed for me for so long that I I think I still have this feeling of like, I can't believe there's a Target here because of having <laughs> lived so close to a potential Target, but never actually seeing it open. Well, as I've never been excited about the possibility of a Walmart opening nearby. So right. for, for me personally, I think that's why Target exists in a heightened uh, space for me. Um, but I'm curious what you guys think, because Walmart, does not do it for me. I, I mean, I think that Walmart is like kind of in media depicted as like a killer of the downtown, like a, a mm. killer of a small town, like a, a, a something that sh- that comes into town and that that's the death knell of the main street. And I have to say that, I mean, that's the that bears out. Like that's literally what happens when Walmart comes to town. Somehow Target has not been blamed for the demise of like a central like commerce district in the places where Target goes. And I don't know if that's because Target is not responsible for that. I can't imagine that Target being a a giant store wouldn't have some bearing on the businesses in the local community. But for whatever reason, the media depiction of Target has not been like this giant like vampire that comes and sucks the life out of a town. Julissa, you look like you want to say something. Yes, because I think this is kind of part of my very weak criticism of Target earlier, which is to say that Target is not in certain neighborhoods, right? Or in certain places where there might be a Walmart in those Mm -hmm. places, Mm -hmm. right? So I feel like Walmart does go into sort of like desert sometimes and become sort of like the place where people can shop, where people can have access to like fruits and vegetables and like uh, inexpensive things where and so that's why I think it's it's blamed more because it'll go into a small little town right and like and open there and and for better for worse like be there to provide things that the community needs at a lower price that maybe people wouldn't have been able to afford had there been sort of at mom and pop shops right Mm-hmm. Um, where I think Target doesn't always go in goes into those um, communities, right? Like mm-hmm. Target is not in those sort of like lower income communities. Yeah. And so I do think that that's a reason why Target isn't blamed for a lot of these things. You know, I, I've not seen a new story about Target employees having a um, like a donation tip or donation jar for employees to have Christmas money for Christmas presents, right? Where you do sometimes see those like big stories in the news about Walmart. But I don't know that that's because Target is paying their employees like a fair living wage or if it's just because they have a better PR team and they've like stayed away from those types of stories. I mean, like I was mm-hmm. saying earlier, like at the end of the day, like it is a corporation. You know, it's a mm-hmm. corporation. The purpose of that corporation is to make money for their investors. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, yeah. I just think they have a better PR team. Yeah, that's I mean, Amanda, you have dealt with people that are, you know, in your work 
you cultivate people who uh, people's ability to write laws. And, you know, in different parts of the country, um, different groups have tried to rectify wage disparities that in some cases, big box stores perpetuate. Have you dealt with anybody that had a bone to pick with Target or Walmart? I haven't, but I, this reminds me of the study that came out about Whole Foods and how Whole Foods, if one shows up in a um, neighborhood, that that neighborhood is very likely to be gentrified. Um, And yeah, I, um, you know, I live in DC and this city is changing so quickly. And just anecdotally, I've been seeing that um, just transform the city. I'm like, oh, there's new Whole Foods here. And then, you know, seeing all these new, um, buildings pop up, you know, the rent prices rising um, and pushing out people who were there. Mm-hmm. Do you think Target does the same thing? Like when a Target comes to town, do you think that people who have lived there for a long time might see it and think like, oh shit, everything's about to get more expensive? I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think Target goes once already the neighborhood is gentrified. Like once it's gentrified. There'll uh-huh. be a target, it's not really but it's the not like the catalyst. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's not the trendsetter. It's not like it's not going to be there early. Like I uh-huh. think they're more careful in that way. They're not going to like get there before the neighborhood is already transformed. So I guess if I had to pick one thing that I don't like about Target, it's probably that. Like they're, <laughs> I think they're a little elitist, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, we were talking about Walmart as sort of like the the analog of Target that goes into places that a Target wouldn't go, like. There was a Walmart that opened up in a town 25 miles from the town where I grew up, which did not have a a stoplight. Like I grew up in the middle of nowhere. And when Walmart opened up, it meant that people who lived in my town didn't have to drive 45 minutes to Rice Lake to buy a pair of shoes. Like Mm -hmm. it meant that, you know, there was a, a place about 20, 25 minutes away where like if you needed to buy, you know, some clothing or back to school supplies or anything, you could get it all in one place. And it was like affordable to people who lived there. Um, but it also, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It, it's sort of like something that replaces like a downtown area, something that sort of gradually takes customers away from a downtown area and uh, brings them all to a, to a place that like relies on government aid to give their employees like access to healthcare or a living wage. So, yeah, I mean, I guess our American relationship with big box stores is complicated, but I don't think it's going to go anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. I remember when my mother, my parents are boat refugees from Vietnam. And so um, they spent, you know, their time in the United States also trying to sponsor the rest of their family over to the United States. And I remember once when my mom was paying my cousin um, and she said, Hey, are you hungry? Um, You know, do you want to go to McDonald's? Um, You know, also I'm going to stop by a Walmart. Like, to him, it was like we were going, I don't know, to like 11 Madison Park, right? Like it, <laughs> it yeah. was the, I know that we're talking from like an American perspective for him who, you know, he just came from Vietnam. He was like, oh my God, like, please, like, that's too much. You're taking me to McDonald's. I'm like, oh my God, you're going to Walmart. Like, um, and yeah, I, I think that the relationship that we have, especially because Um, there's this thing I've been seeing on TikTok where um, foreigners, especially like 
people in China are taking pictures at Costco. Like America Core is a thing, you know, and like this idea mm-hmm. of what America, America is. Core. Yeah, like they'll wow. they'll literally dress up and like take photos in front of Costco. You know the way that like some people here take photos. I don't know if they have like a poster of the Eiffel Tower or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so these yeah. brands, Walmart, Target, McDonald's, like that is so much um, just in the the bloodstream of uh, what people, you know, at least from Vietnam, think about when they think about America. Obviously, besides you know the war, into them they think of it as the American War. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's really interesting. America Corps? Yes, America Corps. It's, America a, Corps. it's, it's a really big thing. Wow. There's like restaurants. And I, um, I think like in Korea, it's very, um, there are restaurants where they'll have like um, Texas barbecue and they'll have like, I don't know, like CNN and MSNBC. Why? <laughs> Look, Korean barbecue is great. They don't need to. <laughs> I know, I mean, I if they want to try their hand at Texas barbecue, that's fine. But uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say they're doing great at barbecue without any American input whatsoever. I think I think <laughs> Korean barbecue in Korea is completely different than what we think of of Korean barbecue. In oh yeah, got to be. The United States. I love Korean <laughs> I love Korean barbecue in in K-town so much oh. that I would go to Korea specifically to eat. Yes, absolutely. I kind of looked at this conversation as like a fun conversation about why we like Target and why we like going to Target. You know, that's not to say that like we couldn't have a more serious conversation about capitalism and corporations and the way that they do destroy towns. They do just, you know, I'm thinking about like when Walmart came to Mexico and the fact that like it is destroying like the the traditional mercado, right? Where people go mm-hmm. and buy all of their things and then these people are out of their small businesses and maybe they do find a job at Walmart, but that job doesn't pay them what they used to make selling their own stuff. And so, so I just wanted to like say for anybody listening to the conversation, like I think we are all aware of sort of like the other side of this conversation, but this was, I think, a specific conversation about how fun it is to go to Target. Mm-hmm. And why it's fun. But I think that this is something that's in the, in the back of our minds too, like as People, I mean, I think most people that listen, I know all of you are like people who are fairly conscientious. And so even things that, and for me, that manifests in I can't enjoy anything ever. Um, sure. Right. <laughs> so Be, like being I, a conscientious <laughs> consumer is, is hard and it, it feels like it's a never ending task. And mm-hmm. so is Target something that we can conscientiously consume? I mean, I think to Ju- Julius's point, which is so brilliant, like, who cares? Let's just have fun, you know? <laughs> and that there, there's some joy to be had in Target that we're clearly all picking up on that does cut across socioeconomic cloth. Uh, and I think that there's a real delight in that. And and it is a feeling that very few brands universally give us. So why not mm-hmm. celebrate that? What's your husband's line again? Nothing matters. Shop Target. <laughs> I mean, it is it is like a chance to kind of just zone out for a second and just stop overthinking everything. But then afterwards, sometimes like yesterday I came home and I was like, okay, what did I get at Target? I got a plastic bubble wand with a witch hat topper because I thought, you know, oh, bubbles are a fun activity. Um, I got a cat Halloween costume, uh, Ziploc bags. Like it was just such a, a motley array of, of, of items. Um, and I think that, you know, the thing about Target, I think that maybe holds appeal for people who are conscientious consumers is that it is a temporary zone out. You just go in, you, your brain blinks off for like an hour, two hours, 
And then you come out and it's back to feeling all of the the like guilt and complicated feelings that come along with trying to be an ethical consumer under capitalism, which we all know is virtually impossible. Um, so on that note, <laughs> communism, uh, <laughs> let's take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're feeling petty about this week. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Guys, it's been a rough year going to get rougher and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet you could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender do your worst but we have a better idea for you which is pick out something from the crooked store the store is stocked with tons of new merch it's perfect for the spring and classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship depending on how things go pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year or a hat celebrating your favorite pod go to crooked.com store to shop And welcome back. We've almost reached the end of the show, but not quite. We've got a little bit of housekeeping. Some fun news, Grace. Mm. You want to hear some fun news? You love fun. I would love to hear. I love fun. I love news when it's fun. Let's hear it. You're pro fun. You're pro news. Okay, fun news. Crooked Media has partnered with comfortable, sustainable shoe brand Karayuma to create two awesome pairs of shoes that listeners of Hysteria will love. One design features an all-over I Voted sticker print. It's really cool. And the other one is a sleek white pair that says no steps back on the side. Do you think that you're more an I voted sticker print person or a sleek white pair that says no steps back? No steps back. A hundred percent. You're a no I love, steps back. I love the messaging there. Yeah. 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 You? You know what? I thought that I would be on team no steps back. They're both great. They're both really yes. cool looking, but the I voted sticker print is rad. It's really, really gorgeous. I, I honestly, I think, I think you could do with both pairs. Why not? You could. Um, I have a pair. I have two pairs of Karyuma shoes, uh, not to brag. <laughs> and they are the most comfortable shoes <sighs> that I, that I have. I can't wait to try them. I'm so excited. I've seen, I've seen the pics. They look absolutely stunning. So comfortable and so cute. They're so, com- they, they sort of have the fashion impact of like some cons, yeah. but they're like, 
so much more comfortable, so much more structured. I just like absolutely love them. And it's so cool that you can order pairs today in the Crooked store. And as always, a portion of the proceeds from those shoes and any item you would buy in the Crooked store goes to Vote Riders, the leading organization that focuses on voter ID. So cool shoes, supporting a good cause. We love to see it. Love to see it. Okay, house has been kept. Let's get to, let's do an I Feel Petty Sanity Corner combo. I'm, I'm calling an audible. It's the end of the summer. I mean, it's technically September 1st or later if people are listening to this, but we're calling it end of summer because it's August in the past where we are recording this. So, uh, Julissa, do you want to do I Feel Petty or Sanity Corner this week? I might do a Sanity Corner this week. Okay. Which is like new for me because I always feel petty about something. Uh-huh. Uh, but today... Um, I have found a lot of sanity in um, in Aspen, Colorado in the summertime. It's so beautiful. And, you know, I've been going on this like little, not quite hikes, um, but just like walking trails along the river and like hearing little birds and hearing hearing the river. It's been really beautiful. But the thing that has given me the most sanity about being in Aspen, Colorado at this particular time is because I'm here with the Raizalo Festival, which the Latinx house um, is hosting. And so there is legit like a complete takeover of Aspen, Colorado by like all of these amazing Latinos. And I really love it because I know people here are not used to seeing us um, being part of the being part of like of the town. Like there definitely there's definitely a lot of Latinos who work here. Um, and it's amazing and they should be recognized. And at the same time, I feel like walking down the street, I'm just like, yeah, I'm visiting here. And it feels <laughs> like it feels like really nice to just like be rolling so deep. Um, and I guess what's keeping me sane is both the nature and also just like I love my people and I love to be here in community with them. Oh, that's great. That is an excellent that. sanity corner. Thank you, Julissa. You know what, guys? I've got a sanity corner too. I'm going to gonna offer my sanity corner because I have a feeling that Amanda and Grace may be feeling petty. I've just got a feeling. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a right <laughs> feeling. Um, okay. So here's my sanity corner and it's it's localized, but I think that there are, you know, larger implications for it. Um, guys, public gardens. Really, 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 really nice. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I found that outdoor green spaces that are cultivated um, and maintained by people whose job it is to like be good at growing plants are really fun, nice, restorative places to visit. Mm -hmm. Um, There are public gardens, you know, even a park, even a park with a great landscaper can give you access to like a cultivated green space that kind of brings peace. And I don't mean a cultivated green space, like a golf course. I I'm not People who listen to the show know that I have like a, I, I don't like golf. I think it's bad. Um, <laughs> and I think golf courses are, are they're like the Brazilian wax of nature. <laughs> they're just not, not natural. Um, but a public garden that is like maintained and grows local plants. I just think ugh, I've just had some great time in green spaces this summer, even despite the drought, there are places that you can go in Southern California that, that showcase local plants that are like low water use. And uh, it's, it's just Beautiful. really great. Yeah, I, I know. It's so wholesome. So wholesome. There are things I'm feeling petty about, but I was like, you know what? I think I've been petty all summer. So I'm just going to try to be sane right now. Um, Grace, what are you feeling petty about? All right. I am feeling petty about something. I uh, knew it. I, I know. knew it. 
Uh, well, it has to do, it has to do with the heat wave that's coming through Southern California right now. Uh, temperatures are going to reach a casual 107. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I am feeling petty about deodorant. Okay, not its use. Obviously, I'm a frequent user myself. The issue is that <laughs> a few months ago. Uh, listen, this happens periodically. Uh, our deodorant will use something for a while and then it just stops, doesn't take, doesn't take anymore. And you're doesn't like, I gotta move take. on. Doesn't take, doesn't take. I need to move on. So oh my I went, God, you're wearing out deodorant? Like you're I, I, physically wearing it out. I was wearing it out. I was wearing it out. Yes. I, or at least I just felt more conscious, just more conscious of how I was smelling. And I was like, I don't want to mess with this. I'm just going to, you know, change brands, whatever. Go to the deodorant aisle and I find the clinical strength area. Okay. Now within the clinical strength deodorant options, there was one for 72 hours. And I was like, well, I want to be hyper protected and smell great for 72 hours. Give me that. So started using that. Okay. And I thought like, this is great because no matter what I'm bulletproof, somebody tells you that you're going to have a deodorant that works for 72 hours, even if it reaches 107 degrees outside, you're like, great. I feel bulletproof. This is awesome. But that sensation happened again a couple of weeks ago where I was like, oh no. I'm starting to smell something. Is it me? Is it the deodorant activating with my surroundings? I don't know. I don't know what's happening, but I don't like it. So I went back to the deodorant section. Again, now I'm like, well, if I was using clinical strength before, now I got to keep doing it. So I found a 48-hour clinical strength deodorant. All I'm saying is I don't know what's up and what's down anymore. I don't know what's regular strength and clinical strength. (laughs) I don't know if I have a disorder that is causing me to be more conscientious of how I smell, but I'm hyper aware of it right now. And I really feel like there's got to be some sort of uniform distinction in what we're calling our deodorant these days, because I'm not going to go for the all natural stuff. Okay. That stuff does not work. It's 107 degrees out here. No, okay. Well, disagree. Okay. Interesting. I'm a natural deodorant person and I don't think I smell. And my, my husband has, he has no tact. And if I did, he would, if I smelled, he would be like, you you. smell. Um, so yeah, it works for me, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback on this grace real quick and say, I never have been like a smelly person. Okay. I think some people just have like stronger natural scents and I've just never really had that strong of a scent until I had a kid. Here's the thing. There's so many like gnarly things that happen after, like right after you have a baby. And one of them is your pits stink. No. Really really? bad. You get really stinky. It's an, it's an evolutionary adaptation so that your baby can smell and, and find your breasts. Oh my God. Because of, yeah, it's like, you need to teach this. It's on. Yes. Aaron, nobody talks about this. This is fascinating. You get stinky. And then some people, and during pregnancy, I smelled like soup sometimes (laughs) because it just like changes the way that you smell. Um, But yeah, my pits were stinky for like a month. It was like real. Did you ever go clinical strength? Is there such a thing as clinical strength in the natural deodorant world? Probably not. I'm like kind of crunchy when it comes to stuff that I like put in and on my body, especially like when it was like around my baby. Of course. Of course. Like I, like beforehand, I would like eat trash and whatever. (laughs) But, but you know, when I'm dealing with like, oh no, I don't, you know, I don't want to get chemicals on whatever on my baby. But um, yeah, so I don't, I don't really do any of the, I do like a natural deodorant and, um, it's, it's worked pretty well for me anyway. I'm, I don't think I stink. I'm, no, I don't stink. No, so maybe I need to walk it back and go into the natural direction. You need a cleanse. And, a maybe deodorant need a cleanse. cleanse. Maybe that's the problem is that I've acclimated too much to the heavy chemicals and now I got to step back to just reset. 
Right, right, exactly. You got to right. like dry out from the deodorant. Um, <laughs> Amanda, are you feeling petty this week? Seven tells me you're feeling petty. Um, this week. I feel both, and they're related. So I'll start with the petty, which is that the United Nations has been really just dragging um, our survival. So just background for folks uh, for the past six years. Um, I and other sexual assault survivors have been fighting for our rights at the UN. And basically every single year they're like, oh, well, here's another issue. It's not the right time. You can't do this. There's basically all these issues. Um, And I just found out today that um, we're trying to get the survivors in to watch the vote because we finally introduced the resolution and the world is going to vote on it on September 2nd, which is super exciting. It'll be the first time ever in world history that the UN has ever recognized rape in peacetime, which is so ludicrous. Um, But yeah, it's a Uh, I mean, it's like congratulations, but also what the fuck. I know, I know, right? Bare minimums, bare minimums. Um, So I just found out today that they're not letting us in because they changed up their rules last minute today they said everybody has to pick up their badges today but like we're literally flying people from around the world and they're coming tomorrow because the vote is on friday um so i'm feeling very petty because the un makes it extraordinarily hard for activists um to have a voice within the system and it's just so clear that the un actually isn't for the people it's for the world's most powerful governments like it's you know the winners of world war ii right the p5 though that's what it's for um so yeah i'm feeling petty but what gives me sanity are all the survivors who are coming who have been fighting for this for six years and um who are going to be showing up and whether or not they let us in the building we're going to be there because we wrote the freaking thing and it's passing and we're going to change awesome. world history. So that's, that's awesome. I love that's that. That's really exciting. Um, okay. You are going to have to get back to us about whether or not you get let in. Yes. And, and, and if you don't get let in, I really want to know what your like alt agenda is. Like, are you guys going to like, I, I want to know all about yeah. it. I want to be, I want to be a, I want to be a fly on the wall or a fly on the marble stairs and uh, hear all about <laughs> Absolutely. it. So, um, all right. Well, Amanda, fingers crossed for you guys. Uh, and congratulations. And also, what the fuck? Um, mm-hmm. Great. Uh, that's all the time we have for uh, the show this week. Grace Parajani, thank you so much for stepping in uh, to Alyssa Mastromonaco's giant shoes. I guess clogs. Clogs. So you're stepping into Alyssa's clogs. An honor. Uh, an honor. Julissa Arce and Amanda Nguyen, thank you so much for joining as the panelists this week. This was a really fun conversation. Thank you to Dr. Aria Halliday for a great interview. And thanks to all of you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation fucked in it. But these girls gotta ban it. Y2K email and scan it. Don't take no for an answer. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. And Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers. And our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroote. 